Grab a seat. Say hello to somebody on the way down. Say hello to somebody else. Landon, it's good to see you back, man. Back in action. Welcome to City Church. We're grateful that you're here. Not to call her out, but I just saw her for the first time, and I'm loving that Miss Catherine's here because that means we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna be affirmed today in the Word. Amen. I love it. We need more Miss Catherine's. If you don't know what that means, just stick around. My name's Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm grateful to be that, and I'm excited to be delivering the Word to you tonight. If you're brand new with us, we would love for you to let us know that you're brand new, and let us know who you are, where you live. And where your, what your email address is, your phone number, and we're going to reach out and say hello because we believe that life is better connected. We believe that God has established this place to not just be a place where we can sing nice songs and learn things, but that this would be a family united under Christ, under the word of God, lifting up Jesus as all in all. And we believe that as we lift him up, we will be drawn together in unity. And in a world that's pulling us apart, that's very important. We know that our hope for unity starts with our nearness to him. And that's where we're going tonight. And Birdie's coming along with us. And I can't believe it. No, it's not Birdie. We got all kinds of babies. Let me tell you something. This is how you grow a church. Amen. Bring some babies. Deb, you're doing all right. You look fresh tonight, honey. I love it. Everybody know Deb? If you don't, say hey to Deb. She's the best, literally. No offense to anybody else, but she is the best. Ephesians 2, we're in verses 11 through 16 tonight. We're talking about peace with God and peace with one another. We're talking about the solution being the blood of Jesus to cover our sins, to provide forgiveness, and to establish peace with God and peace with one another. We sing in that song, we were singing those words that there's no wall that he won't kick down. There's no wall that he won't kick down. There's no lie that he won't tear down. And I couldn't help but think that this is exactly the good news that the Ephesians were receiving from Paul in the middle of this text that we're going to be studying today. And Malachi and I didn't plan that, but the Holy Spirit put it inside of him and teed us up. Because what we're going to look at today is very literally the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and everybody else. Jews and Gentiles. There was a wall in the temple dividing these people. And what Jesus did when he died and rose again is he demolished that wall and made it possible for all who would come to find hope and rest and forgiveness and eternal life by his blood. So that's great news for the Ephesians when Paul delivered it, and it's great news for us today. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read these verses, and then we're going to dive in a little bit to the context some more. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Starting in verse 11. Therefore, 
Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Super weird verse. I'll explain it in a minute. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, one new race in place of the two. So making peace and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The AC turned off just in time for us to pray. Father God in heaven, I ask for your wisdom, your discernment, your clarity tonight for me and for everyone in here, because I know and I believe that your word is life. Your word is power. It's not my words that they need. It's your word. So I pray that you would speak through me by your spirit and and through your word tonight. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in this day, this hostility that Paul's writing about is fierce. Many, many scholars believe that there's no, there's, there's no point in history where we've seen hostility between two groups of people like this. Jews and everybody else. And it was so, it was so intense. They, they hated each other so much. A, a common Jewish phrase in that day, a common Jewish phrase, was to call Gentiles fuel for the fire of hell. Right. It's rough. Gentiles literally believed that the Jews were the enemy to the human race. They were enemies to humankind because the Jews didn't want anything to do with anybody else but themselves. Very exclusive. They were the people of God. They were the people of the promise. The covenant that God gave to their father Abraham was theirs, and everyone else uncircumcised was out. It was literally considered illegal for a Jew to help a Gentile with childbirth because they were bringing in a heathen, another heathen into the world. It was illegal. And so that's what Paul is talking about in verse 14 when he says this dividing wall of hostility that has been torn down. Most biblical scholars believe that this is literally talking about the wall in the temple that was torn down by Jesus. In those days, there was a wall separating the courts for the Jews and the court for the Gentiles. We got a picture that we could throw up on the screen, I think, of the temple courts. Hopefully you can see it. I know the writing is really tiny, 
So just bear with me for a second. But this was an elaborate thing, right? The temple in those days that Herod had laid out, King Herod had laid out. And we've got all these things. And I'm not going to go into all the detail of the Holy of Holies and the altar and the court of Israel and the court of the women and the court of the priests and all of those things that, that the Jews were allowed to go in. And there were layers of Jews that could go into those. But if you see on the bottom right and the top left, those big areas inside of the wall, Those were the courts of the Gentiles. You see that? They could not come past that wall that was in between all of the places for the Jews and them. They could not come. They could stand on the outsides, and they could look up to it, and they could sort of see, you know, in where they could. But they could not go in that. And if they would have gone into that, it was punishable by death. Show me the next slide. This is an inscription on the wall that they found. I can't read that. Neither can you, most likely, but I, I have a translation. So I want to read you what that says. Is that helpful? Yeah? That says, th- this is what this says, sort of. No foreigner, no foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade, the, the barrier, the, you know, the wall. And the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. So if you cross the wall, if you come in and you climb it, not only are you going to die, but you will have yourself to blame for that death, is what it says. This is the hostility. This is the hatred. This is Jew and everybody else. Jew, non-Jew. Jew and Gentile. And the Gentiles, as they've been brought up, they were being, they were being brought up to believe that they were inferior, of course. Like they couldn't come into this place. And the hatred was significant. And you know, this, this is so relevant to us today as well. We didn't build the walls with the things inscribed, and we're not punishing people by death, you know, necessarily. And I'm not going to go too deep and make it really political, but this is a serious dilemma for us today as well. When we make distinctions about people with the way that they look or how different they are than us, different they are than us, how they're from a different place or how they do it a different way. And if we're not careful, we may not have a wall that has an inscription But we may be doing the very same thing to people that are different. And it's the job of the church to carry the message of peace that Jesus has established to the world around us. We need to be reflecting this hope. We need to be reflecting this peace. We need to be acting like we truly believe that because of Jesus, we are one in him. What do we not understand? about one, like all this outside stuff. It's not the point because he's given us a new heart and our hope for reconciliation with each other starts with reconciliation with him. We need him to purify us in the deepest parts so that when we look at our brothers and our sisters that are different than us, we do see differences. It's, it is what it is. But we see what is inside of them the way that God sees what's inside of them. And we love them with the same love that's been shown to us. They weren't doing that. They had a wall. 
They didn't want anybody in the way. Acts chapter 21, just to illustrate the point a little more. This is, this is a picture of how serious this was to them back then. Paul was in Jerusalem visiting, and the Jews thought that he had taken a, an Ephesian Gentile into the temple with him. And I want to read this from verse 27 through 36 of Acts chapter 21 to help us understand the depth of this hatred. Verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, Paul, in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Not like prayerfully, like throat type of laying hands on him. And they were crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. He's defiled it. Jews only. Anybody else is unclean, defiling our holy place. Paul's brought him in. We need to come around. We need to get this right. We need to get rid of this man. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They didn't even know if he did. They just assumed that he did. And they were hot about it. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together and they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune, tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And he at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And then the tribune came up. And arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. He didn't even ask first. But he needed to bind him so that they would stop beating him. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some were shouting another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. Paul was having to be carried by the soldiers up the steps because of what the crowd had done to him. For the mob of people followed, crying out, away with him, away with him. This is, this is the hostility that, that Paul is referring to. Firsthand, having experienced that based on an assumption that a Gentile, unclean person had come inside of the temple, the Jews were rioting and they were beating Paul because he was the one who supposedly brought him into the temple. This violence, this, the, these acts of, of hatred, not so different than some things that we see even today. And all of this, all of this hostility because of who they were and where they were from and what they looked like. All of this hostility, Paul says, Jesus has brought together in peace and harmony. And this is the message that Paul is preaching. That by his blood we are brought near to God. 
And as we draw near to God, his mercy and his love becomes a magnet that is so powerful that all of our external differences can't keep up with the strength of this power that's pulling us in with his kindness and his love and his mercy toward us who don't deserve it. This is possible by his blood. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. You who were called the uncircumcision, this is the part where you kind of start either squirming or hoping that that's just like a figurative phrase. You know, like, I don't really mean that. Circumcision in those days was done ceremonially to show that these people were marked as a people of God, consecrated. They, 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 they literally would take off flesh of the foreskin. Super weird. I know it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing, guys. Take off the flesh to symbolize that they were dying to their flesh and depending on the spirit. It wasn't just a weird thing. It was a weird thing, but it wasn't only a weird thing. It was also to prove and to stamp and to mark and to show that they were God's people. And we know that in Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel, I don't have it in my notes, Marcus, I know, I think it's verse 26. It is, talk to me. You got it? Talk to me. He gives us a new heart. We'll go with that. He has. He has. That's your message, Deb. I love it. This, this consecration. You did great. You did great. I love you. This, it's my fault. It's, it's a leadership problem up here. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. This is, this is, a, this is a spiritual act, a consecration. We've been circumcised in the heart now because of what Jesus has done. We are crucified with him and we're raised to life with him in his resurrection. And our heart is now New. The external things that they were doing ceremonially are not necessary anymore because he's dealt with us on the deepest parts of who we are. And he didn't just shape it up. He gave us a new heart, as Ezekiel said. And he says it somewhere else about literally circumcised of the heart, but I don't have that. So we're just going to keep moving. I love you for your grace and your mercy. That you're showing me. This is what this is what Paul's talking about. They they were throwing stones by calling them the uncircumcision, those that aren't like us, those that don't have the covenant of promise, those that aren't marked by the people of God. He says, "You remember that this was you, and also verse twelve. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, and you didn't have any hope." And you were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near by the blood. Brought near 
by the blood. Jesus prophesied to this in John chapter 10, verse 16. He said, I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I have other sheep, and, and I must bring them in as well. I must, I must draw them in as well, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd brought near by the blood, becoming one. That's what we see here. This is a picture of unity. It's not just a picture of personal forgiveness and personal redemption and personal reconciliation because in the economy of God, all people, when they hear the gospel and they put their faith and their trust in him, are drawn to him. And what happens when we're coming from there and there, as far away as you can get from each other, when you start coming into a central point, you find unity together by the blood. Our hope for unity begins with nearness to God. And what is the price for this nearness? The price is the blood of the spotless lamb of God himself. Colossians 1.20 says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Do you see this? This peace by the blood of his He's drawing us in. We have one commonality. Even if we just have one commonality, and it's Jesus, he is enough for us to have peace. This is the picture of heaven. We're never more unified horizontally with one another than when we are close to God, bringing praise to him, unified. Not because of what we look like. Not because of what we do, what we prefer. Not because we like the same music. It's totally different up there than it is down here. But don't forget, we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so this ministry of reconciliation is ours to steward. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm getting way ahead of myself. But this blood, the blood of God, the blood of Jesus brings forgiveness. It brings forgiveness first, and then it brings peace. Peace with God, and then it brings peace with one another, reconciled vertically and reconciled horizontally. This blood, this, this river flowing from Calvary's hill, this river flowing from the cross where the ground is level for all to find a place is carrying us into the Father's arms. There is enough room in this river for people of all walks, shapes, colors, and sizes. Charles Spurgeon said this, and we've got it on the screen. <laughs> uh, Charles Spurgeon said that it had to be like four slides, so bear with me for a second here. When we read the word blood, as in the text here, it means mortal suffering. We are made near by the griefs and agonies of the Redeemer. The shedding of blood indicates pain and loss of energy and health and, and loss of comfort, loss of happiness. But it goes further still. The term blood signifies death. And it is the death of Jesus in which we trust. We glory in his life. Yes. We triumph in his resurrection. Yes. But the ground of our nearness to God lies in his death. 
get this, because the term blood, moreover, signifies not a mere expiring, but a painful and shameful and penal, painful and humiliating, yeah, that's better, painful and humiliating and penal death, a death not brought about by the decay of nature. A death not brought about by the arrows of disease. A death caused by the sharp sword of divine vengeance. The word blood, in fact, refers directly to the crucifixion of our Lord. We are brought near to God, specially and particularly by a crucified Savior, pouring out his life's blood for us. Brought near by the blood. Hebrews 9, 12 through 14. Christ entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. Not once a year. Not all the time. Not, he doesn't have to keep coming back. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He has accomplished what we could not. Brought near by the blood of Christ. This, this, remember that to the Ephesian reader, to the ones who were reading, I needed that this time. It's really hot up here. <laughs> to the Ephesian reader, this is a really earth shattering thing to be brought near. This is totally outside of what they can imagine based on the life that they've lived and how they've been brought up. To be brought near, to be, for this wall to be a demolished for us to be brought near to God in the presence of him we, we, we thought that we couldn't get in there brought near by the blood verse 14 for he himself is our peace he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility he himself is our peace he himself, Jesus himself. Do you know what that means? That means that peace is a person. That means that Jesus is our peace. That means that peace is not just a gift. <laughs> that means that peace is not just a byproduct of being close to God. That means that peace is not just something about God or a part of him or an aspect of him. No, no, no. It's much more personal than that, and it's much more intimate than that, because peace is a person. Jesus himself is our peace. And it all starts to come together, because in Isaiah 9, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And it comes together even more because when Jesus was born in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom 
he is pleased. He has come to bring peace, but he didn't just come with it to give it. He came to bring it in himself because he himself is our peace. Peace is a person. Changes everything. It changes everything. Because we don't need to have something done to us in order to go into the presence of God. We need God himself in us by faith, by grace, through faith. We can come in and enter in with confidence, having been washed by the blood of the Lamb. He himself is our peace. He himself, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Let's look at verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might, look at this, don't miss this, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We see that he has come to make one new man, to bring all people together as one race, not marked by external features, but marked by the inward man that has been recreated, new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This outside stuff is great, and it's, it, I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is, but it's not the point. The point is, I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I've been crucified with Christ, and in that crucifixion, he has demolished the strongholds and the walls and the lies and the things that are up in between us. So we don't look at each other and have a wall. to deal with that because by his blood he has created a new bloodline he has given his life's blood for us he let it drain out until he was dead and he gave it to us he 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 purified us with his blood all those who trust in him by faith He's given us his blood. He's given us a new heart and put his blood in it. And it's really weird. We're talking about blood a lot. What is that about? But it's our lifeline. Do you see that? And it's not just our lifeline and our hope personally, but it's a bloodline that we all share. It's our hope for peace. This bloodline means that it doesn't matter where you're, where you're from, where you've been, what you've done, what color you are on the outside, because Jesus has given us a new bloodline, and it is in him that we have peace. It is in him that we have hope. He's not given us a topical remedy or an external solution to hope in. God has made us alive in Christ by grace through faith. This is New creation stuff. This is bloodline stuff. Transfusion. Out with the old, in with the new. We're a new creation now. Are you in the bloodline? Galatians 3, 26 through 28. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith.
It's some kind of different identity, guys. Like, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If you remember, we talked about baptism and how it's not a, it's not a, a step towards being saved. That's that's not what it is. It's an outward expression of what's happened inside of us. We're going into the waters of baptism saying we've been buried with you, crucified with you, Jesus. We're going in as one person. We're being crucified and we're coming up washed and clean and resurrected with you in the power of your resurrection to show the world that we are yours. As many of you who were baptized, you have put on Christ. You've put it on. We don't see the same things that he sees. Do you see that? Like we see the out, outward things that make us different, and we choose to let it divide. Don't, I don't understand that when we understand this. That in Christ, he's made us one, and we have literally put him on. So that the world can see that we are his. It goes on to say there is neither Jew nor Greek. Jew nor Gentile. Jew nor Roman. Jew nor. It doesn't matter. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. I mean there is. We'll get to that another day probably. But in this case for this point he's making all are one in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? We have differences. Don't hear it. Don't hear it wrong. Don't hear it wrong. We have differences. And it makes us beautiful because we're one. And a picture is not going to be pretty if it's all the same color. Especially if the canvas is the same color as the paint. What are you going to see? How are we going to show the vibrancy of our creator? This is the picture of heaven. We can't, use, we can't see with our eyes. We can see through his eyes. He sees a beautiful picture where we're trying to divide. We want unison over here. Unison over here. Unison over here. It's not a great song if it's just unison, unison, unison. We need harmony. He brings us together. We are unified as we pursue him. And don't you love that it's not about your pursuit because he has brought you near by the blood of cross of, of, the, of the cross of Christ. It literally is more like jumping into the river than swimming up the stream. He just takes you there, brought near. I got a lot of sermons on that. I don't have time for that. The question today, are you in Christ? This is the question that matters. Are you in Christ? This is ultimate and pervasive for all of life. This is the question that we need to ask ourselves, and it's the question we need to ask each other. This is our only hope for peace. This is our only hope for unity. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, or I don't, we may stop at 19, but this is the good, this is the good stuff. This is the coffee mug, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, he or she, all people, new creation. The old is passed away, for behold, the new has come. 
And all this is from God. Don't get it twisted. Don't think that you earned it or you put on something that worked. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And this is where we have to get up out of the seat. And not like, ah, yeah, I'm with it. And then sit back down. I'm talking about get up out of the seat and go do something about it. Because he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not for us to bottle up and hoard. It's for us to show and reflect and put on. We are ambassadors of Christ. This ministry, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us. What? He's trusting you who are in Christ? He's God who created it and sustains it by the word of his power is trusting you. Is it because he, he believes that you're strong enough? Because, Jared, I mean, I'm having a really hard week. There's no way that he could trust me with any ministry. I can't, I'm having a hard time getting out of bed. I'm having a hard time. I don't know how to put words together. I don't know. I'm really scared, right? I don't, pile up the reasons. Is it because, do you think he's trusted you because he thinks that you're strong and, and, and worth it? Like, no, worthy of that burden? Because you're worth it to him because he loves you. But that's a different story. Do you think it's because he thinks that you're capable and you're never going to mess up and you're going to bat a thousand? No. He's trusting you because his love and his grace and his mercy is enough. His word is power. He doesn't need you, but he chooses you to be a vessel. And he says, go with the ministry of reconciliation. You don't have to have it together. You don't have to figure it out. Some days you can't even get out of bed. I don't care. Send a tweet. I have been changed. I've been changed. I have been reconciled. I thought it was about all of this. I thought it was just about cars and, and money and girls and whatever. Maybe, whatever your story is. Maybe you grew up in church and you were addicted to Sunday school. I thought it was all about memorizing Iwana stuff. Maybe that's your story. And I'm going to lovingly tell you the same thing. You're wrong. It's not about that. It's not about piling up your credentials and, and, and being credible. He hasn't entrusted you because of anything you've done or anything you're going to do. He's entrusted you because he has set his love upon you in Christ before the foundation of the world. And he hasn't entrusted you to stay put. He hasn't entrusted you to stay put. He's entrusted you to share. And open your mouth and reflect his love and his grace. Put on Christ. How we live this out, Jared? How do, what are we doing? How do we do that? This is our conclusion if you need me to tell you where the conclusion is. God has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. First, vertical reconciliation. He, he's He's telling us that 
Our soul is the top priority. We need to deal with the soul as top priority. Vertical reconciliation. Reconciled to him. Forgiven of our sins by the blood of Jesus. So if you're in this room and you have not received the forgiveness of your sins, please come and talk to me or Marcus or really anybody else that, well, yeah, talk to anybody. Share it and ask a question. Reconciled. By the blood of the Lamb, first personally. And that means for us that are Christians that have received this ministry of reconciliation, our first priority when we go is to care for the souls, is to look for the souls, is to ask the hard questions and deal with the, the ministry of reconciliation vertically first. So... Practically, when we talk about city cares and the closet and meeting physical needs, I don't know if you caught what Marcus said, but I loved it. It's he and Nick and the, and the team and everybody's been dreaming up this vision, talking about, we yes, we meet their physical needs, but don't get it twisted. The first priority is their spiritual needs. So we care for the soul first, vertical, and then horizontal reconciliation. We deal with relationships as fruit of a reconciled soul. So we look to people and what they need and where they're going and how we can help them, whether they're our brothers and our sisters or whether we just met them. But we do that, and it's not a sequence. It's not an order. Don't hear me say that because sometimes the open door is the horizontal. The open door is meeting a physical need. The open door is caring for someone's relationship. That, that could be the first step, but do not miss the chance to care for the main problem, which is vertical reconciliation. So tonight, I have two questions. Two questions. The first one, most important, are you in the bloodline? Are you in Christ? Most important, do you know Jesus, and who is he to you? And if you don't know, and you can't answer that, I want to talk about it. Second question I have for all of us tonight is, can others, if you are, if you are in the bloodline, if you are in Christ, can others see the fruit in the way that you love them? Can others see the fruit of this bloodline in the way that you love them? Yeah. We're close, we're close, we're close, we're close. Because the mark of being forgiven is to forgive. The mark of being loved is to love. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We have been forgiven, so we forgive. And there's a lot of texts that I could bring up, don't have time, where Jesus was pretty stern on this. Forgive as you've been forgiven this is the ministry of reconciliation. Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Put on then, clothe yourselves then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, beloved of God. Com put on compassionate hearts, put on kindness, put on humility and meekness and patience. How are we doing? Bearing with one another. She's just so, you know. Yeah. 
never, he never does the dishes. Are you going to do bedtime ever? Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. And if, if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Well, here it is again. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Here's the truth. There is no place for hate in the heart of the beloved. So if you have received this love in your hearts, Romans talks about that God has poured out his love into our hearts. If you are a part of the beloved, if you are in the bloodline, in Christ Jesus, you've been given this love into your heart. There's no place for hate. There's no place for that. I don't, I don't have an excuse that's worthy of it. I'm not hearing it. I'm not hearing it. I'm hearing a lot of put yourself aside, crucify your flesh, and pay attention to the other person. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, compassion, bearing with one another. There's no, there, there's, there's no excuse or, or, you know, there's nothing in that that gives us an out. It's like, it's not about you anymore because he forgave you. There's no place for hate in the heart of the beloved. There's no place for hostility in the heart of the one who has peace. And remember, peace is not a gift or a thing or a place or a noun or whatever. It's a person, Jesus. Pronoun, you know. No, okay, never mind. It is a noun. It's a person. So preach better, Jared, preach better. (laughs) Unity with each other is a byproduct of nearness to God. That's what we want to be. That's what we want to be known for, that we hold up Christ as supreme and sufficient, and we gather around him, and we lift praise to him, and as we do that, we look around, and we're all unified. But we didn't focus on that. We focused on him. And that's, that's our strategy. Just one, just one point. There's just a one-point strategy. Focus on Him because He's sufficient. He's enough. I wish somebody would shout like she does. She, he, she, yeah. Josie. Josie. So many babies can't keep them. Are you in the, are you in the bloodline? And can others see the fruit in the way that you love them? We're going to sing again tonight. We're going to lift up praise to God, and we're going to open up this altar when we do that. Feel free to come. I'll be up here. Marcus will be up here. A lot of other people that love the Lord will be up here to receive you if you need someone to talk to. Feel free to use this altar however you will. We believe that in Christ we have everything that we need. And we pray that they would know us by our love. So, Father, God in heaven, we're here for you. And we're asking that you would continue to move in our hearts. God, I'm asking that you would turn over the places that are cold. That you would bring light into the dark corners. That you would show us that we have 
more hope than we can imagine. That you would make us a people of peace. That you would give us dreams and visions for this community and for, this, and for the world around us. That you would help us to be a light, a, to be a people that illuminate love because of what you've put inside of us. Change us by the power of your spirit. Make us more like you. Pray all this in Jesus' name.